0: Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they are right, so so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out, out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep or for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offences. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn.
1: Thanks very much, Lindsay, and thanks very much, Maisie um morning everyone um morning everyone here morning everyone at home um my name is josh and i am one of the elders here and um, also work on staff for Christchurch, liverpool um, and as you've probably picked up that passage is a little bit long um, and i'm going to be referring to it quite a lot as we go through so i think it will really be helpful if you have a copy of that open in front of you um in on paper or on your phone um, i mentioned i said that this morning and i think everyone thought yeah yeah he just normally puts all his all his verses on the screen um and <laughs> there's not that many on the screen <laughs> so i'm going to get you to look down at the bibles you have quite a lot as we go through um, <clears throat> but before we come to look at uh, at this passage let's pray father god We pray that through your word this morning, we would get a glimpse of your glory that would lead to our great and deep comfort and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few months ago, I was reading a book um, on parenting, and one thing that I found really helpful was that it said, children always crave the answers to two questions. Am I loved? And what are the boundaries? So according to this book, um, as long as you are constantly reinforcing to your child that you love them and they're valued, you're affirming them and praising them, and you're making the boundaries clear, well, you're doing a good job. Now, the thing I liked about that bit of parenting advice was that it whittles down this whole big area of uh, tantrums and whinging and bad behavior. It whittles it all down to just two problem solving questions and it got me thinking whether we could do that for adults as well is it possible to whittle down all of the things that uh, make us worry all of the things that give us anxiety and fear the things that then prompt us to do things that we do is it possible to whittle that down to just one problem solving question so I thought about it and I think we can Here's my attempt at what I think is the question everyone is craving affirmation about. Here it is. Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? Now, I think that works on uh, some, a relatively small level. So think about um, something that's bothering you this week um, and one of the relatively small anxieties that you've got, something that is perhaps along the lines of an exam that's coming up or an application deadline or an offer that you put in on your house or something that needs to be fixed. All of the anxiety you feel over that is gonna go away if you had have known right at the beginning everything is going to be okay. If you'd have known right at the beginning, yes, you will pass that exam, guaranteed. Yes, you will meet that deadline or it will be granted. Yes, the offer on that house will be accepted. Well, if you knew everything is going to be okay, well, there's just no place for fear. But that even works on a bigger scale. So we know from life all those things don't always work out. But when things don't work out, when there is disappointment, the way we deal with it is we set our hope that the answer is everything will be okay but in the end. So the things that we've the failures that we've experienced now are, are small pieces of a bigger picture. There's a, a bigger jigsaw puzzle out there, and everything will be okay in the end. so yeah, you've failed the exam, yeah, you've missed the deadline or you've missed out on the house. but our hope is that it will all be okay in the end and actually isn't the nature of darkest despair the time when you are convinced that everything will not be okay and can't possibly be okay in the end. And so the most profound thing that we can think of to comfort one another is we want to tell each other everything will be okay. We want to give each other the answer to this one big question. The problem is we can't comfort one another as we want to because, well, we don't actually know (laughs) whether things will be okay. I don't actually know if you'll pass your driving test. And I don't actually know if your relative will get better. And if nothing like that works out, well, no one really knows enough of the future or can see the big picture to be able to say that everything's okay in the end. Well, we are looking at at the moment the book of Isaiah. And in this section that we've been looking at, chapters 40 to 50, we meet Israel at that low point of knowing that there is no comfort. Everything is not okay. Israel are in the aftermath of the most catastrophic event in their history. In Isaiah 43, the background is that Israel have had their nation invaded, and all their fears have come true. The cities have been ransacked. The army's been defeated. That's included the death of lots and lots of men. And all the survivors, well, a lot of them have been abused. A lot of them have been also killed. And what little remains sent off to captivity, to live in squalid conditions in another nation. And when you look at the big picture, or big jigsaw this is all part of, they set their hope in God, and yet they look at the temple, and that's been smashed down. Everything, Everything sacred is destroyed, and God seems to not be there. There is no hope. And it's into this situation for Israel that God speaks. And beginning in Isaiah 40, God says... Everything is going to be okay. And that is the message here in Isaiah 43 as well. In the darkest moments, God speaks to his people in Isaiah 43 and says, everything is going to be okay. And this chapter contains the answer to this one question that we all crave affirmation for. Is everything going to be okay? Yes. Do not fear, says God. Everything is going to be okay. So verse 2 God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Everything is going to be okay. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You know in advance everything is going to be okay. So you can look up. You can look forward. Do not fear. But here's the thing, I think, in this passage that really makes a difference. And I really want this to land today from Isaiah 43 because it makes all the difference. And that is that when God speaks these words, everything is going to be okay. He doesn't say them like we say them. He's not being sentimental. He's not giving kind of his, his wish out there. Because as we look at Isaiah 43, I want us to see three things that really ground this in solid reality. That will cause us to look beyond ourselves and look up. And see God in his glory. And by seeing him in his glory, we will know that there is comfort. And it is true. And more sure than you could possibly imagine that everything is going to be okay. So firstly, this is what we're going to see first. is It's okay. I am the Lord. It's okay. I am the Lord. Now imagine that you'd gone through some sort of trauma or illness. And I came to do the pastoral visit at your house. I knocked on your door and came in, and I was coming alongside you in your troubles, and I wanted to bring you words of comfort. Well, I think I would probably go for words of comfort that tell you your situation will get better. Your circumstances will improve. I'll say to you, it's going to be okay because you're getting better. Or it's going to be okay because we can make things work. Let's fix this. Let's make it better. Can you imagine how weird it would be If I knocked on your door, came alongside you in your darkest troubles and said, it's going to be okay because I'm Josh and I'm five foot five and I'm Welsh and I drive a Peugeot. Are you comforted yet? I use Colgate toothpaste. My middle name is Peter. Yeah, that would be absurd and weird. And yet in Isaiah 43, God speaks words of comfort and front and center is the message. Look at me. I am the Lord. I am he. Verse 2, the comfort comes when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Why? Verse 3, for I am the Lord, your God. In fact, if you glance down at verses 8 to 13, verses 8 to 13 is a section that's set up a bit like a court case. Because God summons people to be there. He summons the nations together, and He brings witnesses in as well. And he says that those witnesses testify to the conclusion of verse 11, and God's front and center message is, "I, even I am the Lord." That's the comfort. I am the Lord." Verse 12. He says, "You are my witnesses," declares the Lord, "that I am God." He even says, "I, even I am He." he's just saying look at me look at me look at me when you know me that's where comfort begins and actually that is a really really profound comfort Uh, this is how it works Uh, some of you may have been watching the football lately euro 2020 um, and if you have you'd know that the beginning of the tournament was overshadowed by an incident where one of denmark's players had a cardiac arrest on the pitch It's absolutely terrifying. And the guy has um, lived and he has been discharged from hospital and he's making a recovery now. Um, But it was absolutely terrifying. And that reminded people of a time where something like that had happened before. In 2012, another high-profile occasion. In 2012, a chap called Fabrice Muamba had a cardiac arrest on the pitch. Um, And the end of the story is he's okay as well. Um, But when he had his cardiac arrest on the pitch... The stadium was just in tears, almost. They could see the attempt to resuscitate this guy. It was an awful, awful occasion. And into that occasion, one of the fans got over the advertising hoardings and got onto the pitch. And he went right up to where they were resuscitating this poor man. Now, that in itself is is terrifying. If an intruder comes and, and is where he doesn't belong, and yet, That fan spoke words of profound comfort into that situation, and it was all to do with who he was, because that man said, I am a consultant cardiologist at the hospital down the road, and I know what's going on with this guy. His name was Dr. Andrew Diener. He worked at London Chest Hospital as a consultant cardiologist, and when he got on the scene, he could say, if you knew who I was, you'd know that I can save this. I mean, he wasn't that confident, that's not actually what he said, but he was the right person. And by saying who he was, all of a sudden the situation changed. He was the only person in the stadium, the only person in the area who knew what had happened to that guy's heart. He knew how to keep that guy alive, he knew what treatment that guy needed, and because he managed the situation, Fabrice Mamba is now actually alive and got to meet Dr. Andrew Dina. Because in that case, the words of comfort were all about who I am. Who's arrived on the scene and who's going to make it right. And so it's no wonder that in Isaiah 43, the central message is God saying, look at me. Verse 3, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 10, look at me. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I'm the one you want on the scene. Verse 14, the Lord says, I'm your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15, the Lord, the Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. Look at me. And that's where comfort begins. Do you know who it is who's speaking these words? Do you know that there is no one else who is God? There's no one else who can say to his people and actually say it in truth, knowing it is absolutely true that everything is going to be okay. If you knew who is speaking, fear would melt away. God says that he's their creator and he's their king. So the God on the scene is, is in charge and he has awesome power. God says that he's the holy one. So the God on the scene is pure and right and good. God says that he's their savior and redeemer. So if they know him, they'll know that the God on the scene is the the very God they've heard of precisely because etched in Israel's history are all the stories of his saving works. In fact, that's what they were supposed to testify to in this courtroom situation. They were the witnesses. They were living proof that God does act in history, that God does speak into the darkness to bring light, that God does speak into despair to bring hope. He does work in his might to save the broken. They should have known, they should have been testifying to that, so that everyone could look at God, look at him, and that's where comfort begins, because the deepest comfort is found in looking up to face God, recognizing him, that he's the saviour. Look at him as the creator in his glory. Look at him as the holy one in his majesty, the savior. Because the more you know him, the more you consider him, the more you adore him, the more fear melts away. Because the more you understand it's true that everything is going to be okay. It's okay. I am the Lord. Do not fear. But a brilliant thing in this passage is that that comfort is compounded and deepened because God also speaks about who you are. The second thing is, He says, It's okay, you are mine. It's okay, you are mine. Now, some of you um, who know me personally and our family will know that um, our family has gone through the process of adoption. And one of the reasons why we wanted to do that is because we believe that that models the deep and comforting truth that is behind what God is saying in this passage. You see, in lots of cases of adoption, um, thankfully, I want to say, not in the case of our children, um, but in many other cases, children are in positions where they are uh, not treated right. The situation might be dangerous, unhealthy, and even abusive, and it's a long process, but eventually they move into an adoptive home and everything changes. The way they're treated completely changes. There is comfort and there is safety. And the child might, might ask their new parents, they might say, look, I haven't changed. <laughs> I haven't done anything. I didn't make this happen. But why are you now treating me with respect? Why are you treating me with love and care and meeting my needs? And the answer would be, Because you are mine. That's what guarantees the safety. That's what guarantees the love and care and protection for these children. That they've got someone who can say to them, you are mine. And that's what God says to his people right here in this passage. He says, you are mine. He actually wants to double that. He says, they're twice his. He says, he made them so they are his. And he bought them. They are his. So verse 1, he says, he who created you, but he also says, I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Four times in the chapter, God says he made Israel. They are his. And four times in the chapter, God says he ransoms or redeems them. They are his. Because the hope that God speaks into this darkness, the, ho- the, the words of protection and care and comfort is to a people who are his. They belong to him, and they belong to him in the most profound and deep sense. Verse 7, he even says that they bear his name. They're called by his name. It's okay, you are mine. Of course everything's going to be okay. You're mine. And because of that, God says in verse 4, you are precious, And you are honored in my sight. So, of course, everything's going to be okay for his precious ones. Verses 2 to 7, then, he tells them, because of that, because he's the Lord, because they are his, then everything is going to be okay. And even though they're in captivity, God will pay the ransom price to redeem them out of that captivity. He says in verses 3 and 4, he'll even pay the human cost to buy them out of captivity. And verses 5 and 6, he says, you're exiled and scattered, but I will call you back and gather you to be my own. Everything is going to be okay for them. Uh, But I suppose if if this is just about the hope of a return from exile from a place called Babylon for a nation uh, 2,000 years ago, I guess that doesn't seem so much of a comfort for you and I. But listen, this chapter is here about them so that you and I can know that in our deepest and darkest darkest and most hopeless moments, God wants us to draw deep assurance and comfort by looking up at the glorious God and by realizing that when he sees us, he sees a precious, precious child Wonderfully formed, made by him, called by his name. And we need to learn from this passage that the God who offers comfort to us has always been about ransoming and comforting and saving his precious ones. Actually, when it comes to us today, this passage has a much more significant and deep comfort on offer for us. And that's where this passage gets to after verse 16, because the third thing we're going to see is that God says, it's okay, you can't mess this one up. It's okay, you can't mess this one up. You see, this is a wonderful comfort, and for the people of Israel hearing this for the very first time through Isaiah's preaching, yes, it's a wonderful comfort, but they would know that there is actually still a snag. Because if they know their own history, they would know that The story of Israel has always been about God speaking into darkness, God bringing a wonderful rescue from captivity. And yet, they always end up back in square one because they themselves mess it up. See, in their minds, because they knew their history well, the big image of God gathering his people, rescuing them through fire and water... Well, the big picture of this would have been the story of the Exodus, which is, we can read way back um, at the beginning of the Bible. Because God has spoken to his people before in their deepest, darkest need. And God did, on that, that occasion, he did rescue them from captivity. He did lead them miraculously out through the Red Sea and out of Egypt and into the wilderness. But if that was all they got to hope in this time around, it wouldn't be so good because the problem with that time was that out of two million people who went out of captivity and into the wilderness, out of two million, only two made it through and made it home. And that's because although God kept his bit of the promise, well, they messed up. And so that kind of comfort would be useless if you know you're only going to forfeit this rescue God's got on offer because you're going to mess it up. And yet, there's something new in Isaiah. He's got a new announcement to make. Have a look at verses 16 to 19. I'll read those verses. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, that's in the Exodus, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. This is what he says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, the message that Isaiah's got is not one of rescue from human captivity again, only to fail and mess it up and stay in the wilderness and die again. This is a new thing. Do you see it? This time, God's plan for his people is a way through the wilderness, a way all the way home. It's not everything's going to be okay. Unless you mess up again. <laughs> because this new thing isn't actually dealing with Israel's captivity. But it's dealing with the very heart of why they were there in the first place. The very heart of why God had punished and judged them and sent them into, tra- uh, into captivity. See, the announcement is that God deals with the reason we mess up. With the reason we make everything not okay, with the reason we mess up, and he blots that out. So it's forgotten and remembered no more. Look at verse 25. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And you can't mess that up, you see, because he does it for them. Not that they've achieved it. Actually, verses 22 to 24, have a look at those. God, in those verses, is quite clear that he says, I've noted that all of your attempts to make things right with me have fallen completely flat. He says, you have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices, but you have, verse 24, burdened me with your sins. So this rescue that God has got on offer is not because they have earned it, not because they've persuaded him to do it. It's because God is God, and God is their savior, and they are his precious people, and for his own sake, God wants to redeem them regardless. He speaks into their darkness and says, everything is going to be okay, because it doesn't depend on you. I will do this. I will do it for my own sake, because I love you. And because I am seen in my glory when I pay your ransom for your sins and I blot them out. When I was about nine or ten, I was invited to a friend's birthday party. um, And it was a a stadium tour. Here's a picture of the stadium. Um, You might recognize it if you're into football. If you don't, I won't tell you what it is because it's not very popular in Liverpool. Um, But when I went to to go on this football stadium tour, before we got there, I, I went to his house. And when I turned up there he was and and kind of five probably five friends they were all there in their kit dressed ready to go to the stadium showing just how much they supported the team how much love they had for the team how much they'd invested in this club and how much this was a big thing for them stood there in their kits and I turned up I didn't have a football kit (laughs) I'd never had one it looked like I just didn't belong. More than that, it actually looked like I wasn't really fussed about this football team. It looked as if I had no affection, no devotion to this team whatsoever. All these guys did. They'd earned it. They belonged there. Uh, I wouldn't have qualified. There was a moment where I was thinking, well, I suppose I can't really go then, can I? I can't really be let in if I'm not displaying my devotion. And my friend He went into his house, and he went upstairs, and he got me a kit that I could wear, one of his. I didn't get it. I didn't earn it. I didn't buy it. He just got it for me, and it was his, and he gave it to me to wear on that day. And it's not because I twisted his arm, but because he wanted me there, because he'd invited me. It was his thing. It was his birthday. He'd done the invite, and he wanted me there. And he went, and he got the kit, and he put me in it, and he brought me along because he wanted me there. You know, it says, it says more to me that he did it for his sake than for my sake. He didn't do it because I pestered him, and he didn't do it begrudgingly. It's because he wanted me there, because he loved me. And that meant that it wasn't something that I could mess up. I'd already arrived without the right clothes. There's nothing more I could have done to make it worse, but he did it all. And that's why these verses in Isaiah 43 are so deeply comforting for God's people, because God says, I know your failure, and yet he still redeems them. He draws them to himself, and he blots out their sins because he wants to, because he is the creator who is tender to those he's created. Because of who he is, he is the redeemer, and he calls his children precious. And he wants his precious children with him. This doesn't depend on them. And so they can't mess it up. And at this point, I think this comforting message of Isaiah preaches, uh, that Isaiah preaches speaks directly to you and I today, years later. Because although this seemed to be about this national return of this physical exile, God was actually revealing that this new thing is far more far-reaching than that. It's not just for Israel, it's for anyone who'll take it. He kind of hints at that in verses 5 to 7. He, he doesn't just want to gather the people from exile, actually. In verse, those verses, he says he's going to gather people from all over the world. Because this comfort that God announces eventually is seen in all its clarity and its fullness when Jesus comes. And he announces that he is the ransom. He is the human cost, the ransom. And he will be the ransom for many And we see in Jesus that his life wasn't the price paid to get Israel out of captivity, but it was a new thing. His life was the ransom not just for Israel, but for everybody, so that their sin could be blotted out. So that for anyone who trusts in him, there's no more judgment of God to send us away. There's no more despair, there's no more alienation from God, but drawing to him. And that means that even for us today, everything in this passage All this amazing and profound comfort is ours. Not in a kind of momentary physical way that God will solve your problems today, but in the big picture, in the biggest picture that God has announced, the very biggest picture, God says everything is going to be okay if you count Jesus as your ransom. If you own his death on the cross for you as the price he paid for your sins to be blotted out, the big picture is everything is going to be okay in the end and nothing can change that no one can reverse it and you can't mess it up if you trust in jesus then god counts you among his people and you know what that means he says you are precious and honored in my sight you're a precious child of course everything's going to be okay you are his and you need to know that you've never messed that up, and you never can mess it up. God says in verse 13, when I act, who can reverse it? Not even by your failure, not even by your doubts. Now, I want this to be a particular comfort to you today. If, if you've got something in your life right now, a sin or a situation, or even something lingering over you from the past, and if that means you're ever tempted to think that God might as well just give up on you, Or if you're ever tempted to think that you've just just crossed the line, that you've probably just gone too far away for God's love. Or if you think that there's a black mark against your name in God's sight that can't possibly be erased, well, listen to this. God is committed to you, and he has blotted it all out, and it was for his own sake, not because of you. And so nothing's going to reverse that, not even you. God's words of comfort in our darkness can't be reversed because Jesus has come and he did it and it's happened and it's finished and God blotted out your sin and that is done and you can't reverse that. You won't be able to reverse that. And so everything is going to be okay and you can't reverse it. Well, you know, what? I'm going to keep using those two parenting questions to try and keep the tantrums at bay. But I know from trying to do that, it's never quite that simple But Isaiah 43 tells us that it is that simple when it comes to the one question that we desperately crave our answer to. Because it is simple. It's answered in the deepest and most profound way. Is everything going to be okay? Well, if you're in Jesus, then yes. Look to the God on the scene. He is a saviour. Look at yourself, you are precious, you are his. And look to the cross, you can't mess it up. Your sins are blotted out. And so God's message from you, from Isaiah 43, is everything is going to be okay. And that means everything. And that is far more sure than you ever dared believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us with the message that you are God. And we pray that you'd help us see that and know that and draw our deepest comfort in that. Thank you that you've spoken to us with the message that we, if we are your people, we are yours. Thank you that you've spoken to us with the message that you have acted for your sake and in Jesus have blotted out our sins. Thank you for that, Lord. We adore you. We worship you. This is our deepest comfort and joy. We thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.